lots and lots of spoilers. Sling up the news, cut out your guts, drown in the pool, show them your nuts, that's how we do the poor little rich boy waltz. Welcome to another fun-packed thrill ride of an episode of Max Mike Movies, the podcast that's stuffed with vitamins and iron and has the thrilling taste of Retson. <laughs> Isn't It Romantic is our latest series as we romp through rom-coms, deciding if these little bites of love still make us all tingly in the feet, or if they're just old burgers riding in their sacks. Or some. <clears throat> Thing. In their sack. Please don't say sacks. <laughs> sack. <laughs> Harold and Maude is this week's pick, a movie from 1971 about a young man and the love of his life, a 79-year-old woman. No, I'm not kidding. Is this movie fun? Is it believable? Is it even tasteful? All these questions and more will be answered by your two hosts. That one over there is the Baron Karza of bad taste, Micronauts Max Levine. I will crush you all! And I am the winking weeble who doesn't know the meaning of the phrase, fall down. Magna Doodle Mike <laughs> Luce is my name. And as a well of that, we have trivia. The show. Baron Karza, I can't believe you made a Micronauts reference. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to. <laughs> I, ha I had a Baron Karza. He was so awesome. Did I. He was awesome. I expected you get the, the part where you could turn him into the centaur. Uh, well, why else would you get him? Well, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of trivia, that is <laughs> trivia, but nothing to do with Harold and Maude. So let's no. talk about Harold and Maude. Oh, do let's. Budget, $1.2 million. Take, no idea, but it <laughs> was not good. I could not find it anywhere. Basically, they just said it bombed. Um, in most places... Um, this would be an example of a movie that becomes a cult favorite. One theater in Minnesota had it play 2,000 shows. Oh, sure. <laughs> Eventually, people picketed to get the theater to change the movie. <laughs> uh, but it was very popular. People kept coming back and seeing it over and over again. It would not start making a profit until 1983. Oh. Which would only be 12 years after it was released. <laughs> Uh, a May-December relationship, the star, Bud Court, lived one of his own. For a while, he couch-surfed with real-life friend and December buddy, Groucho Marx. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's not a May-December romance, or was no. it? No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, um, man, Bud Court and Groucho Marx, that must have been some weird late-night conversations. I, yeah. I, he apparently knew a bunch of old-time Hollywood people and just was friends with them. I think he might have even been friends with Orson Welles. Don't quote me on that one, but sure. Yes! Uh, director Hal Ashby, a name I was not familiar with, made this as well as some other fairly well-known movies like Shampoo, Being <laughs> There, and three um, films about the Rolling Stones. Because you do. Yeah. Paramount, the distributor of this film, refused to allow Ashby to shoot any intimate scenes between the two principals. They thought that okay. would be bad. Yeah. In the movie, Ruth Gordon's character, Maude, doesn't have a license as she, quote, doesn't believe in them, end quote. In real life, Ruth Gordon never learned <laughs> to drive. <laughs> I heard about that. Any scenes you see of her driving, they're towing the car. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, if you see her in the car, um, from afar, it must have been a stunt. Ruth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was perfectly willing to believe the way they were driving, it was her, but yeah. <laughs> Ages in this film, Bud Cord, who plays Harold, is 23. Ruth Gordon, who plays Maude, was 74. 
The American Film Institute ranked this as number nine in its list of top ten rom-coms. Oh. So there. Yeah. Oddly, Elton John was considered for the role of Harold. So was what? Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I kid what? you not. Yes. Elton John, you have to remember, 71. So Elton John was new on the scene at this point. And what they were hoping was, hey, we can get this Elton John guy and maybe we can get him to do music for the film. Uh, well. But he was unavailable at the time. Uh, the poor Jaguar, which is turned into uh, a hearse at one point, is actually destroyed at the end of the movie. There was no stunt uh, Jaguar. It gave its life so that we might have ours. <laughs> I wanted that car. When I first saw this movie, that was the first thing I thought is, I want a Jaguar hearse. That is the E-type. That is by a many people considered the most beautiful car ever made. Wow. Yeah. It was awfully pretty. It really is. Uh, the original script was written as a master's thesis by Colin Higgins. <laughs> After the movie, Higgins rewrote it as both a novel and a successful play. Speaking of Higgins, he wanted to do both a prequel and a sequel to this movie, the <laughs> latter focusing on Harold After Maud, the other Maud before Harold. His idea for the sequel included using Richard Pryor's character, Grover Muldoon, who was from, I think, uh, Silver Street, which he also wrote the screenplay for. Oh, all right. Teaching Maude how to steal cars. <laughs> he would have cast both actors to reprise their roles. Ruth Gordon and Richard Pryor. I would have paid to see that movie. Yep. I think a lot of people would. I generally am not a fan of prequels and sequels if they were yeah. not like, originally part of the story. Star Wars, I'm looking right at you. Mm -hmm. uh, but this, I might have made a, uh, a uh, what's the word? The thing Exception. For. Exception. That word. <laughs> eh, old age does not agree with me. Oh, yeah, there goes <laughs> another one. Um, Roger Ebert gave this film one and a half stars. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Raj. Oh, Raj. Oh, rerun. Um, <laughs> oh, Dwayne. <laughs> do you have any uh, trivia you know about this film? Because it was fairly scant. Uh, not a great deal. Um, I do know that Cat Stevens actually wrote the song, it, which was one of his best known, If You Want to Sing Out, Sing Out. He wrote it for this movie. Yeah. He was actually supposed to write, there was supposed to be a couple more songs written for the film, but he just didn't have time and they were using his original songs you know ones that had already been released as sort of the what do they call that the clip track and eventually since cat stevens ran out of time they're like ah we'll just license these so. yeah excuse me uh Yus yusuf islam yeah let's not yeah i'm still sorry I, about that. i yeah well uh, he turned into <laughs> a jerk but my god his music is so fun in this movie and it's it's so appropriate, but we'll get to that. All right, so just we can't just leave it there because otherwise people are going to think, oh, you just don't like Muslims, blah, blah, blah. No, so Cat oh. Stevens, well-known British pop star, very uh, well-known songs, really good songs, uh, converted to Muslim to Islam, which is fine. He changed yeah. his name to Yusuf Islam, which I, I fine. I guess that's something that's part of conversion. I don't know. Can be, doesn't but, have to be. He was one of the biggest voices in favor of the fatwa placed on Salman Rushdie yeah. when Satanic Verses came out. He yeah. has since backed off and said, maybe I was a little over-exuberant. Right. Maybe but, he was a little over-exuberant calling for the murder of a, a guy who wrote a book. Right. So that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he has, he basically walked away from music. Like he, like, I'm not doing this. He has since walked back into music and i think he actually goes more by yusuf stevens now which is 
Oh, yeah. To reflect that. But anyway, just didn't want people to think that it had anything to do with the religion. It had everything to do with his actions. Yeah. He could have stayed Cat Stevens and done those actions, and I'd still be sore. He could have uh, converted that, to Muslim, Muslimism, Islam. converted to Islam. That would have been fine. Yeah. Just he didn't have to uh, pick the. He didn't have to be a jerk. Yeah. Did you ever read Satanic Verses? I don't even know what it's about. Uh, I try. I tried once. Honestly, I couldn't get into it. I, I'm <laughs> just not a big Salman Rushdie fan. And here's the thing: if they hadn't made that whole thing, probably most people wouldn't have never heard of the book. But whatever. Well, not necessarily. Apparently, it was very widely read even before uh, the the controversy. Hey, I if rem- you know anything about this book, email us. Yeah. Anything uh, so, else you know? Well, yes. Then, of course, there was some. You know, the main thing was it. It. Uh, I think it portrays the Prophet Muhammad as a real person, as a hum- as a being, and people objected to that. That the old joke was in this. Where then you can read his sequel, Buddha: The Life of a Fat Jerk. <laughs> Uh, probably not factually accurate. But not, <laughs> any not, other not uh, fact- trivia you know about Harold and Maude? Uh, no, a little bit about Bud Court. Bud Court appears all over the place. It, it, many people think like this is his only movie. You mean it by really, that, me? <laughs> it, well, it, yeah, except it really isn't. I first no. saw him in uh, Robert Altman's MASH. I, he has yeah, a I, very small part. Yeah. He only has like one or two lines. But he's actually very noticeable because he has that weird... Even then, he has that weird, <laughs> creepy little boy's face, even he though he's at face. least 18. My my uh, my note was, he looks like the star child from 2001. <laughs> Sadly, he, this is not fair, had, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, no, he would show up in very weird places. Um, films that I'm like, I have seen, and like, I don't know how I missed him, like Pollock, one of my favorite films. He's in that. He's in Coyote Ugly. Um, he is in um, Dogma. He also shows up in animated films such as Superman the Animated Series, Justice League Unlimited, and the Silver and Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> but he yep. was in um, uh, 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 The Life Aquatic. Um, yep. lots He's of worked things. steadily for yeah. uh, the, the last 50 years. Yep. Apparently he does a lot of stage as well. Like that's one of his big things. But that was, uh, the, thing, that was, that was the thing with Ruth Gordon. Is Ruth Gordon yeah. started out as a stage actor, right? And uh, eventually trans. And again, we talked. She was the one who wrote, or she and her husband wrote our last week's movie, Pat and Mike. Right. She and she won an Oscar for writing. Uh, I think no, sorry. She she won the Oscar for the screenplay for Adam's Rib, and she won the Oscar for best supporting actress from. It was either Inside Daisy Miller or. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, I forget which. Mm. She is really creepy in Rosemary's Baby, by the way. I can believe it. Uh, I actually can. So, um, yeah, let's get to the plot for those of us who haven't seen this, because I hadn't. But Harold is a young man with a ton of money and a mother who seems as bored of him as he is of life. Trying to get her attention with a series of fake suicides, all done just for a laugh, of course, he finally feels the cold, hard grip of inevitability when his mother decides to start getting dates for him so he can get married. Through computer dating, which was actually uh, a thing in 1971. <laughs> yeah, this is way. This was sort of the ancient ancestor of Match.com or eHarmony or Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one involved punch cards. If you don't know what yeah. a punch card is, look it up, because I ain't going yeah. into it. yeah. Harold can't stomach this, so goes to do one of his favorite activities, attend funerals. There, he catches the eye of Maud, an older woman who seems to be doing the same thing as he, though for her own reasons. 
The second time they meet, she invites Harold back to her place in a car she's stolen from the priest. <laughs> there they sort of get to know each other, but Harold falls back into his old habits. A forced conversation with his uncle, a war veteran, army crazy career man, makes his future seem even bleaker. Another meeting with Maud, this time with her stealing Harold's car, seems to wake him up a little bit more. Then, a little bit more. Suddenly, Harold's spending all his free time with Maud, seeing life from a new perspective. Slowly, he falls in love with her, and she, in her own way, loves him. Was this relationship meant to be? Can it stand the test of time? Or will this movie inspire the ending of Thelma and Louise? Maybe all things are possible. Maybe life is beautiful. Maybe I'll just stop dropping movie titles and end this thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the lowdown. Oh, by the way, there there is one other bit of trivia I, I forgot. I gave you your chance. Too bad. I'm Bumpy doing it anyway. Him. <laughs> try, try it, you mutant Shetland pony. Uh, 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 as you say, he runs into Maud at a couple of funerals. At the second funeral, the one where they're outside, Cat Stevens is actually in the shot there. Yeah, he's the guy. The and director's the director's in, in there, too. too. Mm-hmm. Well, no, Cat he's Steve- in a shot at the arcade. Right, uh, right. Um, but, yeah. So you had never seen this movie ever. No. So this film... All right, so there used to be a theater. It's just sadly gone. Called the Harvard Square Theater that Max and I were both big dev- devotees for. No, I, I worked, wasn't as I big as Max. There. I was going to say if you'd let me finish. Why would I ever no, let you finish? You never do. Max was a bigger devotee because he worked there. Poor Max. <laughs> <laughs> he, hey. had do, he had to do the strip search for the Rocky Horror Picture Oh, God. Show. <laughs> it wasn't a strip search, but I did actually, before they realized what the, that, we, that was illegal, I had to pat people down yeah. to collect the many, many forms of alcohol <laughs> people tried to bring into the theater. Well, that too, but of course for Rocky Horror, it's like you can't have any glass bottles. It's like, okay, we'll yeah. get our plastic water bottles and then just wing them over our head during the wedding scene, but yep, whatever. Yep. The Harvard Square Theater spent most of its life as a absolutely wonderful repertoire uh, movie theater, meaning, in their case, that they had what was called a daily double feature. That meant that every day, two new films were playing in the, at that point, main theater. There uh, were two well, of them. new. <laughs> well, yeah. They were mostly old, cla- they were classic yeah. movies, usually. Well, new me- meaning like they would, it would switch up every day. Yeah, true. And if you're lucky, there would do there would be a triple feature like they had James Bond triple features now. Or Marx Brothers, yep. Yeah, the best part about this is that films that you would otherwise never get to see on a big screen, you got to see on a big screen. Yep. Uh, Monty Python films. Um, uh, I know another one of their favorites was Doctor Strangelove. That got shown a lot. Oh yeah. Um, Yellow Submarine, Wizards, um, James Gallip- Bond films. Gallipoli, Year of Living Dangerously. But I remember Harold and Maude making this circuit many times. It was that, a darling. And I'm sure other repertoire... That's where I saw it. That's where I first saw it. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you would have been, what, like nine when it came out? <laughs> like, yeah, I was very young. I was way too um, young for that movie. Yeah. So this was a film that I remember that they would bring back many, many times because it was that. And as we said, it was it, it was a cult favorite. And this is how the mm. film eventually made money was uh, before there were things like VHS and DVD and Blu-ray. Um, this was one of those films. And I, I didn't know enough about it at the time. And I thought it was actually going to be a lot stranger than it actually was. And so I was like, I don't really want that brand of weird. So I never went to see it. Uh. But... Uh, yeah, so that's that's the deal with that. I don't know why it doesn't really have any bearing on the film, except that I 
it played for decades, quite honestly. And if the Harvard Square was still open and still doing yeah. its Daily Deborah feature, it would probably still be showing. I'm sure it would. Um, so we also talked about Cat Stevens. Um, if you don't know his music, look it up. It is really good singer-songwriter stuff. Um, if you're of that genre, if you like that kind of music, it's prime. I'm sure he's influenced tons of other uh, musicians, songwriters. And it made this film feel a lot like two other big, well-known films, which are The Graduate and Magnolia. Both of them also had one person do music for the entire film. Yep, the so- this is one of those movies where the soundtrack is a character. Mm. Which actually shows up yeah. at the funeral. Now, uh, you're a big, or not a big, but you're a fan of Cat Stevens' work. I am. You? Yeah, I liked his old stuff. I mean, I can't say I knew all of his stuff, but no. I, I knew T for the Tillerman and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, it was, I had for completely forgotten how much of his music was in this movie. Like lots. I, like There's yeah. like seven or eight tracks, yeah. It's a whole bunch. And I think it worked, and it was really nice to hear again. And it's, it's hard to separate him from the political stuff. Yeah. But if you can, if you can just sit back and take in the music, it really it works really well. It create it really helps create the atmosphere of the movie. Interestingly, as I said, I had not seen now you'd seen this before, like maybe when it was at the Harvard School, you said you did. So sometime in the eighties probably. Probably. But I I'd seen it more recently, I think in the nineties too. So I think I have an interesting perspective here, and I, you may share this, but I'm watching this film, and it, because it has that type of music and it's one performer doing it, the film, in a way, feels very current. If you're looking at indie films, they have a feeling like this. And the more I watched this film, the more I'm like, oh, so this is where Wes Anderson comes from. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think like movies like Juno... Uh-huh. And such, I think they owe a lot to uh, Harold and Maud. Yeah, at least uh, especially with this, with the idea of the way they use the music. Well, the music is one thing. The quirkiness, the quirky characters that you know, because mm-hmm. we talked about that when we talked about Rushmore. How yep. Wes Anderson wanted that feeling of heightened reality. You definitely have that here, but uh, quite honestly, some of the shots. Mm-hmm. He has these shots of these straight-on. You know, the camera angle doesn't change. It doesn't zoom in. There's none of it. Just straight on, people left and right. And I'm just like, dear gods, this is like the textbook if you want to become Wes Anderson. And I even, don't re- yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, even to the little points of most of the time, no one looks at the camera. Harold does a couple of times, mm-hmm. very briefly. And it's for some reason, it's not jarring. I, I mean, like when his first date, Candy... <laughs> You know, runs away. Yeah. Because I think he has just hacked his own. He has convinced her that he's just chopped his own hand off with a meat cleaver. Yeah. He just turns and gives this little smile to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's. I just was very surprised that because of that. Yeah, everything's obviously 70s, you know, the clothes and the cars and the settings, whatever. But it just felt like you could release this now and people would go see it because it has that quirky indie feel to it specifically a very wes anderson kind of feel kind of Um, except it's a little darker and grimmer than wes anderson stuff at least as far as all of the fake suicides that harold keeps (laughs) staging i mean the very opening scene he sim and we don't know he's faking it we basically see we hardly see his face we just see his legs in the neck now we see his legs his shoes and he appears to hang himself in his mother's office or something. 
And the, the, the part that then tips you off is her utter lack of reaction. She comes in, she's on the phone, she glances up, sees him, doesn't, doesn't lose the flow of her conversation at all. Even when he starts to pretend to choke loudly. His mother is hilarious. She's horrible. She's an awful, awful person. She's kind of cartoonish, really, as some of the characters are. Yeah. But it's hilarious. It is. She's really funny. The best part is, like, he's making these fake choking noises, and you can tell at one point they get insistent. Yep. (laughs) Like, (laughs) And we we do find out why he does this. It was like, at one point in in his childhood, he, he he accidentally created an explosion in a science lab at a school and he was reported dead and he, he goes home and his mother finds out that he's alive and she faints so he, that was like the only time he gets a real reaction from her is when she thinks he's dead right and i think yeah, that's he, he's decided he's more interesting dead than alive well, I think it's probably a lot to do with he wants affection. He wants yeah. love and his mother. They have this ridiculously giant house that the two of them live in <laughs> mm. alone with servants. Yeah. Like, it's that kind of money. It's like he literally can have anything he wants. And all he wants is he wants love. And yep. he, his mother's not giving it to him. And that's the so he keeps doing these suicides to try and get something out of her. And she's seen it all. Yep. And everything he tries, no matter how gruesome it is, she's just like, oh, she rolls her eyes or she gets a little uptight. Like, clean this up. We have things to do. Um, What's well, kind of your, the only time she gets upset is when he appears to have cut his throat and it's just there's fake blood everywhere and she seems to be most upset about the mess. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually a great quote uh, that describes Harold. It's uh, from a police song. It's incredibly apropos. It's from a police song called Synchronicity 2. It's actually about the character in the song's mother, but if you insert Harold for mother, the line from the song is, Mother chants her litany of boredom and frustration, but we know all her suicides are fake. Um, and huh. that's kind of Harold. <laughs> kind of. And so he, he and he's yet he while well, he's kind of odd that way and he's obviously supposed to be quirky. There's some a real ineffable sadness about him because obviously mm. he's obsessed with death because life has no has nothing in it. There's nothing in life for him. No, well, until he meets Maud. Well, then I think he goes to the funerals because he wants the idea of people caring that much about him that they're sad. Right? I can see that. Yeah, he but, wants no. to see an actual expression of emotion, and then. He meets Maud, and the interesting thing is she's going to funerals of people she doesn't know either, and she's doing it for an incredibly different reason. Yeah. Um, I'm, her reasoning is not as clear to me, but she t- actually seems to take joy from it, where he just sits there and wallows in his own sadness. He sees it as a, a time to see people's grief. She sees it as an expression of love. Yeah. That she's saying, look at this, look at all these people showing how much they love this person who is gone. <laughs> And then, because she didn't have a ride to get there, she She steals cars to leave. And my God, that woman is a carjacking master. Well, she's got this ring of keys that fit any car. Yeah, she's got basically a magic ring of keys. She can hotwire or or somehow start anything instantly, including, I believe, a a police officer's motorcycle. Unless he left the key in, we're not sure. But I was willing to believe that he did. Yeah. Do you know who that was? Who, who? Which was? The cop? The cop, yeah. Who? I didn't put this in trivia. Uh, it's an actor by the name of Tom Skerritt. That was Tom Skerritt? 
Yeah, he didn't want his his name oh credited. Oh my god! So I he's credited. This is really weird. Yeah. Uh, he credits himself as M. Borman. That's what I saw. Yeah. Uh, do you know where that name comes from? I hope it's not Martin Borman. I'm afraid it is. Oh God! <laughs> not the because Nazi? he was anyway. Yes, not because he was aligned with him, and I forget what the story was. But he'd pay. He pick. I think he said it as a joke. Like, yeah, just credit me as Martin Borman or as M. Borman, wow. and they were like, okay, and just did it. <laughs> You could, I, w- I would not have thought it was him, because, my God, he's got this big 70s porn stash. Yeah. Uh, and you don't it, really see his face. He's wearing a, a chips helmet and uh, sunglasses <laughs> the whole time. I re- it's, it, it's a great scene in the film where they've stolen an El Camino. El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> um, because she's seen a tree on a sidewalk that's not doing well it's dying so she decides even though it's obviously city property they need to go replant it in the forest <laughs> so they steal the car they steal the tree <laughs> and she's driving probably 60 miles an hour at down a you know 35 or 40 and a, a, a motorcycle cop pulls her over well he tries to <laughs> and as soon as the guy gets off the bike and comes around to the window and she's like can i see your list oh i don't have one i don't believe in them is this your car oh no <laughs> and he's like, I need you to go over this again. Oh, good. We've got this straight. Thank you. Bye. And she takes off. <laughs> and he's just like, what the hell? And then he sees her again. Yeah. And this time, you know, he, okay, get out of the car. And while he, he's looking in the car, they steal his motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Because, sure. Uh, and I'm sitting there going, well, she's lucky it was California Highway Patrol and not LAPD. Because otherwise, they would have ju- he would have just shot them. Well, he tries to, and then realizes that, oh, that's right, it's my turn to play Barney Fife. Um, (laughs) And I think he probably would have shot at them, but not not, shot near them. Maybe, maybe. Maude, yeah, so she is a hoot, and she can tell that there's something up with Harold. I mean, it doesn't take much, especially when you see somebody at two different funerals. Yeah, she Um, recognizes it. And she is, oh my God, she's. I I have in my notes, I want to meet a Maude, you know? Yeah, I just said she's a hoot. She is, is a hoot, and she has lived a life. I mean, she talks about, we, we get hints, she came from Austria, she was in Austria which she, during World War I, and at one point, it's, and it's a throwaway, they never mention it, mm. Harold Glant sees her arm, and she has a number tattooed on it. Right. Means she was at Auschwitz. Yep, specifically at Auschwitz. I went and looked yes. it up just in case, but it's specifically Auschwitz, and it was specifically for people that were actually um, chosen to do work. Yeah, because when they dropped dead, they needed a way to identify the bodies. Right. Um, and I thought about this. I looked it up. She would actually have been 54 at the end of World War II, which is a rarity because often people like that didn't make it at all. Yeah. No, she so was a survivor. She got through all sorts. We also know she. there was someone in her life. Uh, yep. Was it Frederick? Uh, Friedrich, maybe something like something that. Like that. Um, we we don't really know. We just know we can tell by the way she talks about it that he's dead. Yeah, and, and I was going to say this is one of my actually my talking points since you bring it in so nicely. Um, it's the only time we see a break in Maud's armor. Otherwise, Maud looks like she can handle anything. She laughs at anything life can throw at her, except at that point that she's brought up. She remembered, yeah, that memory is the only memory that makes her at all sad. I don't think it's a break in the armor. It's just part of her humanity. But she is determined to live her life in joy. She's going to savor everything. And as we find out, her plot is she's 79 and she has decided she is going to die on her 80th birthday. Yeah. And she doesn't make a thing out of this at all. 
No. It's she a, does it's a tossed away comment. Nope, it's just going to happen. Do you think there was anything but when she, cause she starts to tear up in a way that you look and go, wow, that's a real actor because you see her do it. It's not like, oh, cut away, glycerin, glycerin, and then she's, you know, the tears are coming from the wrong part of your eye. Yeah. Um, do you think there was anything, like, did you get a feeling there was something specifically behind? What I see is a little bit is armor, but you don't, but that's fine. Do you think there was something even she couldn't talk about? I think, so. I, I, I think it, maybe it was Auschwitz, but maybe it was just the loss of her husband. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there is some pain she, that is that if she focused on it, she wouldn't be able to feel the joy. Maybe and she, she doesn't, de- she, she doesn't deny it. No. Because she's willing to bring it up. She doesn't pretend it didn't happen. But that's not what she wants to focus on. She wants to focus on living life. And I love the things they do with color in this movie. At the second funeral, when they're outdoors and it's raining, everyone else has it's been black and they have these black umbrellas. And she's got this bright yellow umbrella. That yeah. stands out, and it, it, it's just so perfect. Well, there's a lot of scenes in this film, a lot of shots that just feel like paintings. Yeah, like they're incredibly well composed and just pictorial beyond belief. So it it, it has that weird '70s. Well, we've had enough of color. Let's sort of tone things down a bit. It's not as bad as like the French Connection. The French Connection, there's like we hate color. <laughs> Welcome to the beige world. Yeah, but. The way that uh, the guy, the director here, whose name, of course, I've already forgotten, um, Ashby. Oh, yeah. Hal Ashby, I think. Hal Ashby. Uh, the way he and his cinematographer compose shots in certain cases is just gorgeous. Some of it is just so beautiful to look at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we we see Maud, as, as Max has said, is a character we'd both love to meet. Um and she tells us can tell us something up with with Harold, and she, <laughs> during the funeral she's going psst, 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 to the annoyance of everybody else to try yep. to get his attention, and she does this at the second funeral. And I got to say that priest boy, he's busy because yeah, we yeah, see it's him the a, same one. Yeah, we see him a couple of times, and she finally just is like, "This kid needs something," so she tries to to bring Harold back to her house, and eventually she succeeds. She doesn't live in a house. She lives in a train car. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah. Everything in the place is beautiful, but it's all it's not like beautiful like Harold's house where again, all I ever think of is yep. Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the description of Cameron's house. It's like a museum. It's very beautiful and very cold and you're not allowed to touch anything. Yeah. And her house is like, you are supposed to touch everything. You are supposed to pick things up. You're supposed to sit on things. I love that she has this cabinet just full of random musical instruments. Yeah. And what does she choose? She said, you know, when Harold says he doesn't know how to play anything, she says, oh, what would be good for you? She gives him a banjo. <laughs> because when you see this suicide-obsessed, depressed kid, you think banjo. <laughs> well, Steve... First, at first, it was going to be one of those um, oh. El Mariachi jar- giant oh, guitar yeah. things. And it's like... <laughs> Okay. It's like, no, no, it's the... And it, Steve Martin said it best. He said, it is impossible to play a depressing song on the banjo. <laughs> and he does it. Oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. <laughs> and it does not work. A banjo is just too happy and cheerful. Yeah. Uh, real quick question. This was not a talking point. I just wondered, how old do you think uh, Harold's supposed to be? I think he's supposed to be very early 20s. I think it's obviously he's he's graduated from high school. He's probably graduated from college. 
But I can't think that he's more than like 21, 22. I was thinking like even 18 or 19. I thought he was Um, a little older than that because, you know, his mother wants him to get married. Well, that's why it was so shocking. I wondered if it was supposed to... See, like, at first I thought he was supposed to be about 16. And then he, then he drives and it's like, okay, he, he, on his own. So he's yeah. like, maybe, maybe not. No, but no, that's I, why I thought the marriage thing was such a shock. It's like, you want him to do what? <laughs> and I lo- she just wants him to get married because that'll give him something to do. Well, it'll, it'll solve her problem. Yeah, it'll basically get him out of her hair. And I love <laughs> the women that she, she picks for him or that the computer picks for him. It's like, wow, it's like you just, this is opposite day. Yeah. Because they seem perfectly nice, but clearly utterly wrong and utterly freaked out by him, except for for Sunshine. Yeah. That is a very odd scene. The last woman he meets, Sunshine, she's an actress, and when he com- he appears to commit harakiri in front of her, <laughs> she immediately knows that it's fake. She yeah. knows he's acting, and that freaks him out. I am, however, not entirely... I, I wanted to ask you what you think. At the end of that scene, mm-hmm. it's clear he's using a trick knife. In fact, right. she even plays with the blade to show it, and she wants... In effect, she wants to play, too, so she starts doing very badly <laughs> Ju- Juliet's speech from Romeo and Juliet, Act 5, Scene 5, her death speech, you know... You know, find a sheath hero dagger or some such. It looks like she actually stabs herself. I am not sure, because we know it's a trick knife, but maybe she didn't operate it properly? I What do you Initially, think? I wasn't sure either. My thought was that no. And the reason is because the movie would have gotten way too complicated at that yeah, point. And his mom, while she may have money... I don't think is smart enough to figure a way of sweeping that under the rug. I think what happens is Harold is mostly shocked because somebody not only figures out he's playing a game, but instantly learns how to play it. And that's what I love his mother's reaction who comes in and sees ostensibly that his date has is dead. And her only line is Harold. That was your last date. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Harold's an interesting kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no mention of his father, so we don't know if nope. there was one at some is, point, how long. Or maybe he was just created by the midichlorians. We don't know. <laughs> Let's not bring those up again, <laughs> dear gods. Um, but the, she seems very used to the money. Like, we see one little, um party she's giving and she's the the dame of the house you know she's the the society matron i wondered about that i know what you're saying like she you think she's old money yeah i think she is all of that speaking french and trying desperately to be so chic i wondered if she wasn't i wondered if this was new to her and she was just desperately trying to seem like old money we don't really know i'd say no only because we never see her showing any kind of shaky confidence all right, like, that's true. She does have that kind of invincible self-assurance that comes with old money. Now, the one thing I will give her as a character, now she's a terrible mother, but when the dates show up, none of them make any money. Like, one of them is literally a secretary that mm-hmm. does, uh, It's I think it's uh, cattle feed. She, <laughs> she gets these the, all of the Southwest, well, not all of it, but the Southwest, uh, all the cattle's fed because all yep. of the paperwork goes through her desk. And she drives a VW Beetle. 
So it's obvious she, she's yeah. not even close. And it, that doesn't seem to bother the mother. No, which I thought Candy was is a struggling actress. And I think the other one Sunshine. is a student. Yeah, Sunshine, sorry. And yeah. yeah, that's true. It's not that she's trying to find him a girl of good breeding. No. But uh, but it's also she she cannot be bothered to try to find someone for him. So she's using a computer dating service. And yeah. she's filling out the questionnaire the way she would. Yeah. You know, not not she doesn't listen to how you know, didn't give Harold a chance to answer. Of course, he's sitting there playing with playing with a fake gun, pretending to or maybe it's fake, <laughs> pretending to shoot himself or her. Yeah. I, I one of my favorite suicides is the, the swimming pool. He's he's <laughs> face down, floating in the pool. She comes down, his mom comes down to do her daily routine of swimming, doesn't notice him at first. She gets into the pool and notices him and just swims right by him. And yep, there's this great he... shot from in the pool under the water. And you see him face down and she swims by and he lowers his head to watch her go by and just has this really pissed off expression. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, he has not moved. He's still, his arms are still out by his sides and he's just floating. And You gotta give Harold credit. His suicide attempts are not only convincing, they're very technically skillful. You know, they're very well done. You get the feeling this, excuse me, this kid is pretty good. He's like, he must have some kind of native engineering skill. There's I mean, a marketable he, skill. I, I, yeah, I know. Not exactly. Although we do see that he actually can get, his mother gives him a Jaguar because yeah. his the car he buys is, he literally buys a used hearse. A Cadillac hearse. A Cadillac hearse, which is apparently now a really sought after collector's item. Yeah. And he somehow merges it with the Jaguar. He makes a Jaguar hearse, which yeah. I thought when I saw that, and I was pretty young, I was like, that is the coolest car I have ever seen in my life. Forget James Bond. Forget the Aston Martin. I want a Jaguar hearse. I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that catalog, I saw that too. There was just like, yeah, they happened to pick like one of the rarest model hearses. <laughs> and like, that's the one they had in the film. That one doesn't go over a cliff. But uh, sadly, the Jaguar but, later would, in a very Thelma and Louise moment, <laughs> does in fact go over the cliff. There are, we, we should mention, there are other characters in the movie. I mean, Harold has a therapist who is, <laughs> oh my God, such a 70s therapist. <laughs> I love the first scene when he's in therapy. They're both dressed identically, right yeah. down to the necktie or the cravat or whatever the hell he was wearing. I thought it was interesting that they're not facing each other. They're sitting uh. in two wing chairs that are slightly angled towards each other, but he's not... Like, there is a couch. We see later he's on yeah. the couch, but there there is he's not on the couch. And it just felt very businesslike and pointless, which I guess is what yeah. he thought of it. And then there's his uncle, uh, I think Victor... <laughs> Oh boy, who is this gung-ho soldier who is so gung-ho, he has obviously, he lost his arm in World War, I think it was World War II, although they don't really say. Uh, yeah. He's a little young to be World War II, it might have been Korea. Well, you have to remember, it was only 26 years ago, and he's yeah. probably closing in on 50. Yeah, so true. It okay, could have been. been World War II. And he has this rig where his empty <laughs> sleeve is on a wire that if he pulls it, the arm salutes. <laughs> The empty sleeve salutes. Now, and this, he is, he really is a cartoon character. He is so gung-ho. He's yelling about how, you know, damn it, I missed when the Germans were the enemies. And now they're our friends. We should have them on the other side of the fence because they yeah. were great enemies. He is a rabid, rabid oh. uh, conservative right-wing army guy. And yeah. 
The best part, I think, is at some point his mom decides, well, that's it. I can't get you married. You're crazy. I'm going to make you join the military, which, of course, wouldn't really work because he no. has to sign the. But whatever. Well, she says, she, We're gonna- I, he's, he, he's, he says they're going to draft me. And the, this was 1971. The draft yeah. for the Vietnam War was still in effect. Oh, yes. Very much and, so. Very much. But. I don't think a private citizen could force the draft board, no matter how much money you have, to draft someone. Yeah. So uh, he's like, I don't know what to do. And he talks to Maud about it. And obviously Maud gives him the idea. She's like, she doesn't say this. We never hear the plan. But the plan is obvious. You need to out crazy your uncle. Yeah. And that's what he does. He does. (laughs) It's really funny because it's first the uncle's like, oh, yes, somebody thinks like me. This is great. This is great. You need to tone down. No, wait. Whoa, Harold, no, what have you done? (laughs) Yes, because Maud shows up as a fake protester with a sign that just says peace. Yeah. And Harold apparently murders her. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and that puts the end to the nope, 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 nope. Yeah. Uh, I think also, too, it just, it, uh, that's one of the things that just utterly cemented Maud in Harold's heart is like she totally understands his point of view and is willing to do crazy crap, although she does crazier crap than he does yep. to, to get the point across. You know, um, this is a very strange thing to say about a character who is supposed to be 79, but mm. this just occurred to me. Tell me what you think. I have in my notes here, I think Maud is a manic pixie dream girl. What? I think she's a manic pixie dream girl. That trope that was so big in the movies of the last 20 years or so. She is this woman who is, who seems crazy in some ways, but who takes the protagonist who is stuck in a rut and forces him out of his comfort zone with crazy actions that everything seems to be focused on him. Well, she's also concealing an unusual past and in some ways becomes everything he needs. Can you give me an example? Not oh, of this movie, boy. but of a pixie dream girl. Oh, boy. Sure, Ramona Flowers in uh, Scott uh-huh. Pilgrim versus the, versus the World. Okay. Um, oh, God, there are... <laughs> Sadly, she did not make Michael Sarah less Michael Sarah. <laughs> well, no, but she put up with Michael Sarah, and Which she is seemed... Lot. <laughs> that 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 was a fantasy right there. <laughs> now, to be fair, Michael Sarah is probably a very nice person, but his persona on most films leans towards the moist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. some people say Natalie Portman in Garden State, or oh, <laughs> well, probably this is an older one. I'm uh, looking at lists of examples. Catherine Hepburn in Bringing Up Baby. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, obviously, she's an older woman as opposed to a younger woman, but uh, she definitely has that pixie-like quality. Um, I mean, she has one of the first. She talks about she's an artist, so she shows him his paint, her paintings. And it's like, oh, and then I went to sculpture, and there's this sculpture. I'm not going to talk about what's going on, but it's quite <laughs> obvious. It's meant to be touched, and it is quite obvious what's going on. Um, and it is potentially the lewdest scene in the film, except that it's just a piece of wood, except it's not. Yeah, um, yeah. But then... It's, I think, Georgia has, O'Keefe, but in three dimensions. And you're supposed to touch it. Yeah. Um, and you stick your head in it, and this is Kaz's case. But um, she also has this wonderful machine I totally want, which is basically a machine that reproduces the smells of places. Yes, that and was so fav- cool. Her favorite one is uh, Winter in New York City. 
and he's smelling it, and he's pulling out these these scents of Subway. Uh, I forget, and then he yeah, finds his snow. Yeah, yeah, he says, "I smell snow," and yep. she's delighted. And it's just like this Mister Majorium kind of machine. Yeah, it's right? amazing. It's, not- it's like she's invented smellovision. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, I, I would say she fits that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't call it a trope in this. Well, I guess it uh, is it. I guess can't be. I guess it's pre-trope. It's not pre first use because Catherine Hepburn goes back a lot yeah, further than this. But it fits the trope that uh, prob- a lot of people say it got really overused. Yeah, I can see that, especially yeah, if it's always helping the guy. Yeah, right. It, especially the white guy. But you know. that's the most common. Like basically, think Zoe Deschanel in anything. Okay. Uh, I got a question for you, one of my other talking points. Uh, so they wouldn't allow them to fill any intimate scenes. Yeah. There is, however, one scene where it's quite obvious, they're, well, they're in bed, but it's quite obvious that at least on the top, neither of them's wearing anything. Strangely, uh, very unexpected to me, Bud Court has a Batman logo size chest hair <laughs> carpet. Yes, he has a soul patch on his chest, basically. Yeah, it like literally goes shoulder yeah. to shoulder. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen anything quite like it. Um, do you think they actually had sex? I do. Okay. I absolutely do. They want, in fact, the director wanted to show that, but the studio said, um, no. Yeah. Which I, is too bad. What did you cause... think the fireworks were supposed to symbolize? Because right before uh, <laughs> they wake up together, they're what, there's fireworks. Yeah. I also... <laughs> It leads to a scene later in the film where he's decided he wants to marry her, and they oh, make God. him talk to this priest, the, the same priest who's had his car stolen. Yep. And the priest, the guy who's playing them, does such a brilliant job. Oh, God. He is we- discussing the reasons why Harold shouldn't marry Maud because she's older, but he's describing the physical reasons that he would not want to be in bed with her, and each word has about 10 <laughs> seconds between it and takes about 10 seconds to say, and it's just hilarious. It I is- was laughing my ass it- off. That was hilarious, and it's so creepy. And the thing is, you instantly know everything you need to about this priest. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, he and the altar boys. Mm-hmm. But you it's just, just, he's just so awful. But he, it's yeah, he's on screen. He has like two lines. Yeah, um, yeah, he nails. I actually it. know him from actually. Interestingly, uh, both Ruth Gordon and the actor who played the priest there would be in separate episodes of Columbo, but a lot of people oh. would talk. Um, I also, if you juxtapose the scene of them in the next morning, the morning after, and that description by the priest, what you realize is, yeah, on the surface, if you want to be two-dimensional, I'm sure you could sit there and go, wow, a young body and an old body together. Wow, that just, ugh. But it's also obvious that that's not what Harold sees. What he sees oh. is he sees Maud as the person. Yeah. And he loves her. And that's all that matters. And that way, it actually makes it even sweeter. It, so. it, 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 yeah, it, it is. It's something very beautiful about that moment. Yeah. And, I, and it's funny because, like, the whole idea is that this is creepy. I really wasn't creeped out at all. No, I don't know how it worked because she, you know, Ruth Gordon was, what, 75 and he's like 23 and it should yeah. be. But no, it's adorable. Yeah. The two of them work. We talk about this often. We, we, this is one of our talking points. Do these yep. two have chemistry? Yeah. They absolutely do. I mean, he is very, very pale. <laughs> He's very pale. <laughs> uh, but, it, and it's very much her waking him up and showing what life's about and yeah. stuff. But he later on not only learns, but he helps her too. Um, it's just that she's had this plan 
which we don't pay attention to in the movie, which is something that the movie and I think Maud is counting on. Yeah. Because she doesn't want that plan to be messed with. It's not a call for help. It's not a, I wonder what this person would do in this situation. It's literally like, no, that's, I've decided that's what I want and I'm done. It's such a shock at the end. Yeah. It's for, you know, he's, ha- he's helping her celebrate her 80th birthday, which is when she said she was going to die. And he's made a cake and he set up this, he's decorated the, the train car and it's so sweet. And he's going to ask her to marry him. And she and she says, you know, this is such a wonderful way to go out. He goes, what do you mean? I took the tablet, the tablets, a couple hours ago. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, not she. They're not even going to make a thing of her doing it. It's already done. We didn't even see it. And then he's, of course, trying to get her to the hospital, and she doesn't understand what all the fuss is about. I don't think that. My feeling well, was that she was like, yeah, you know, no, that, I would that's... like to go with somebody that I love. And somewhere that it's not going to cause a problem. And as she puts it, you know, he's saying, I love you. And she goes, yeah, go and love more. She doesn't want him to obsess over her. She doesn't want him to to mourn her too much. And it's so sweet. And it's so heartbreaking. And you Mm. see almost nothing. There's no, like, dying in his arms. We don't even see her die. We just see through a window a doctor talking to him, and then his head just slumps. We know what happened, and then we see, uh, and then there's that big fake out. And I'm sorry, this is a spoiler, people. We did say at the beginning of every episode. (laughs) He's driving his Jaguar hearse at ridiculous speeds. He's driving up this beautiful cliff. I, I don't know if that's Oceanside Drive or what. We, the whole thing's in California. And we see the car go over the cliff. And it's like... And I remember I that moment. I thought, oh, he he's dead. He's done it. He couldn't live. And then the camera pulls back. And there he is standing on the cliff. And I think... Uh, this time I thought, I, of course. One last fake suicide. Mm. Only this time... The tar- we're the target, not his mother. The world. Yeah. Every- and what does he have up there with him? He has the banjo she gave him. Yeah. And he's... Oh. I think also the car, because it was made into a hearse, is a symbol that this is the last one. Yeah, I I'm agree. I'm going to take my fixation with death, and I'm just... That's it. I'm done. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did real quick before we get sure. to the final. So we talked about chemistry. Do they have chemistry? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think most of it comes from Ruth Gordon, um, to I, be yeah. fair. Bud Court is very reserved. He needs to be. Yeah. He is very good in this role. I don't want to take anything away from his performance, but most of the, it's initiated. The whole relationship is initiated by Maud. She is the much more active of the two of them. Again, this also sort of fits the manic pixie dream girl because yeah. it's usually the, the pixie who goes after the guy. But in this case, it's not pixie-ish and it's not just quirky. It's, no. she, sees, she sees something in him that she recognizes. She sees a need that he has and maybe... He fills a need for her too. Yeah. Well, he definitely does. But you're but you're right. It's all it's her. It's her warmth. It's her charisma. Yeah. It is. And interestingly, uh, the number one pick for her role was Greta Garbo. Oh, that's right. Bud Court wanted her. I read yeah. about that. Wow. I wonder if that would have worked. I don't know. But to me, like this is Ruth Gordon. 
Like, in a lot of her other roles, the Columbo episode I was talking about, she feels very much like this character. And I think a lot of Ruth Gordon came through in this character, which is fine, because she does such a good job. There's a lot of depth to this character. Yeah, magic pixie, but you start seeing the things she's done. Admittedly, it includes stealing cars. (laughs) Uh, But you see the artwork. It's like, hey, I gave this a try and enjoyed this for a while. Then I did this. Then I did this. And it's one of those people that lives more life than you can imagine doing certainly more than i can imagine and it's not and like she's, she's it's not like she's sorry she's not like a dilettante no like she does something oh i gave up on it's like no i've done this i'm satisfied with it i'm done yeah and she's just interesting like you yeah. could spend most of your life finding out what she did in hers um so yeah definitely have chemistry uh do we buy how they meet sure yeah, why not <laughs> it's like she goes to funerals he goes to funerals so she she's like huh he looks interesting i, I don't Hmm, why is he sitting in the back? Some, you know, she just becomes interested. So, sure, why not? Um, usually, in these films, uh, the couple gets together. <laughs> uh, this doesn't really no. have that kind of ending. It's not, it's not a sad ending, but it's no, not a happy a, ending either. Yeah, it's a bittersweet. When I, when I didn't know what it was going to happen, when I thought it was Thelma and Louise... Uh, If you haven't seen Thelma and Louise, it's your own damn fault. That was, what, 1990-something. I was like, crap, that was unexpected. Why would he end the movie like that? And, of course, I fell for it, basically, is what happened. Uh, Which is exactly what he would have wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, in this case, we usually ask, do we buy the ending? In this case, they don't get together. So, do we buy the way the couple ends up? Yeah. I do. Do you? Absolutely. I always thought... I mean, honestly, the way Ruth Gordon chooses to go out, I think that's admirable. She yeah. goes out on her terms. She has all mm-hmm. her faculties. She's not miserable or rotting away in a nursing home. She's like, I have lived my life with joy, and I want to die on my own terms. Yeah. I, I admire that. Now, that being said, as we have talked about during this episode... There is some, as Max has pointed, pixie magic in this film. A little bit. Uh, the scenes with the cop. It's oh, like yeah. It's a good thing he's really, like, a clumsy, because he that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, he can't even start his own bike. <laughs> <laughs> and let's and face he, it, the way she drives on the curb, she would have, <laughs> how many people would she have murdered with her car? Yeah, yeah. And just and the suicides. Yeah. You know, I, th- things can go wrong if you try it that yeah. many times. His, I, I have to say, I can't believe I'm saying this. His suicides are hilarious. Oh, they are. They are They're really they... funny. And they start the movie with it. So you're like, if you don't know anything about this film, and all I knew is it had to do with a younger guy and an older woman. That's all I knew. Um, if you don't know that there's a suicide coming, they hit you right between the eyes right as the film starts. Um, and it, it really throws you off balance, which I think does work. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they want you to be prepared for just about anything. So, Yep, they tell you right from the beginning, this is not the movie you thought you were going to see. No. I, You know, if you're expecting a regular rom-com, this is so not a regular yeah. rom-com. Oh, yeah. Um, it is, you know, one of the questions I had in my opening is, is it tasteful? I think it is. I think it's extremely tasteful. If we had tasteful. seen them having sex, would it have been tasteful? I'm actually going to say possibly not. Eh, I don't know. Because it I don't think how it was necessary. It. It wasn't necessary. Is the thing no. we know what happened. We see the we see both the lead up to it and we see the 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 afterglow, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and I have I really don't have any problem with it. Would this have been a couple that lasted a long time? I don't know. Could it have worked? Maybe. 
I don't know. I, I believe that people can fall in love with whoever they want, and it can work out. Um, you know, there's a big age gap in my relationship. We've been together for 24 and a half years. So that's right. And, uh, it's not that yes, big. <laughs> that's right. And uh, you are 68 years older than your partner. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, that's what I've got for my notes. Do you have anything yeah. else? Uh, the only thing, I just, in the afterglow scene when they're together, I love that Harold is blowing bubbles from a bubble wand in the same way that you would see somebody with a cigarette in another, yeah. in another different kind of movie. I just think that's that sums it up. And I, I love that because it's showing in that moment, he's just subsumed with childlike joy. Yeah, He's just so happy. Yeah. And you don't see that in the movie for, most, for the most part. Most of it, he is unhappy. And you realize this woman makes him happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. So, but, but it's a quirky film. It is. And there's an old guy, a young guy, and an old lady. And uh, I, can we recommend it? Or, unless you have anything else, I think we should get to that part that I people have so. been dying for. Yep, yep. <laughs> the Roundup. So, Max, yeah. you've seen this back in the 80s at this Harvard Square, potentially while you were even working on a shift. Could, be, could have been. Um. How do you feel about this film? I really like this film. I think it really holds up. I think the I like the characters. I think it's funny. I think it's touching. I think it's sweet. And I still think it's weird. It still has some off-kilter, off-beat stuff, given that, you know, this movie's fifty, almost 50 years old. Coming up in uh, next year, it'll be 50 years. Mm. And I still think it can surprise you. <laughs> what about you? You had never seen it. I had never seen it. I was worried it was too weird that I'm just like, I, I'm just not in the mood for that, you know, Eastern European sock fuzz animated, everybody <laughs> dies, children are unhappy kind of films. I, it's like, I just was not in that mood. And it was not nearly as strange as I thought it was going to be. Really, the only quote unquote strange part is, is the relationship of people who are so disparate in ages. Um, I really do believe... Uh, that Wes Anderson saw this and said, I know what I'm doing for the rest of my career. <laughs> it re yeah. I'm saying that in a bad way, because Wes Anderson brings a lot more to his films than just aping this film. No, no. But you can, you can have an influence <laughs> and still be original. Yeah, and, and oh boy, does this film ever uh, influence. <laughs> it really feels to me, again, like you could release this film now, and if you released it with like a Wes Anderson film or you know, Garden State or those types of films that, you know, those little indie darlings, this would be an indie darling. It actually, sadly, would probably do better now than it did in 1971. You know, you'd have to change the soundtrack. I don't think it'd be Cat Stevens. It'd have to be some little indie band no one's ever heard of. Surfion Stevens, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it would probably work just fine. I don't want them to remake this. Please no, don't remake go. this. No, go. Good Lord, no. no. Um, although, uh, Meryl Streep, no. Um <laughs> Yeah, we. I know who we get. Who's the kid who's playing Spider Man? Oh, oh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland and Meryl <laughs> Streep in Harold and Maude. Yeah, okay, yeah. I would. I'm afraid I would watch that. I think they'd I know, be, I would I'd too. be so. They'd be so cute together. But Meryl. Yeah. Streep, yeah. I would recommend this film yep. if you're squicked by the whole idea of a younger guy and an older woman. Fine, I can see that. It's a lot funnier than I thought. A lot of quote-unquote comedies of the early 70s I don't find a hold up. Like, their humor is either based in the times or a style of humor that we don't have anymore, uh, excluding anything British, because all that stuff's still funny, yeah. except uh, maybe a Benny Hill. But uh, 
It's funny. I laughed out yeah. loud. The priest at the end is really funny. The part where he out soldiers the soldier is really funny. Uh, Maud is often really oh, funny. She has this great line. He's when Harold is saying to her, "You get on so well with people," and she goes, "Well, they are my species." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's one little thing I want to explain because unfortunately it is an anachronism. I think people won't notice. There's one point where they're in an arcade at a uh, beachfront. Uh, carnival or whatever yeah and harold is at this machine and he's making something oh yes he yeah. then gives it to her and she's like this is the best present anyone's given me in a long time and then with a grin she throws it into the ocean and harold is like about to be like well what did you do then she says i did that so now i'll always know where it is which is charming the thing that he made they used to have these little machines and they made these little there were these little aluminum discs and they were <laughs> supposed to be a lucky charm or a lucky metal and you paid a quarter, and you could stamp whatever word you want or words you wanted into that. Oh. And that's what that is. Oh. Um, I have one. Because locally, <laughs> there's an old um, there's a place that has old arcade machines, and they had one of those oh. disc print. I was like, where did they find the blanks? I'll never know. But I was like, I put in, which is now a dollar. Uh, <laughs> but uh. I put in my dollar and made one of those. I had one for decades. I'd uh. made one when I was a kid at Woolworths, if you remember what those are. Oh, yeah. If but if dime. you don't know if you don't know what it is, it might you might be like what what's going on? I don't get it. So he's making a little metal. He probably put Harold loves Maud in it or something like that. No, she says Har- it says oh, no, what she- it says. Harold loves Maud, and okay. she said she looks at him and says, "And Maud loves Harold." Yeah, I and I think real quick. I don't think they have the same kind of love. That's probably true, but that happens in in a lot of relationships. Love isn't well, always I identical. Think, I don't think hers is really romantic. I think she loves him as a friend. She loves him as she would have him as a partner, but I don't think that she loves him the way that he loves her. I'm not saying that's a different amount. I just don't think it's the same. Well, it's also different. She's obviously his first love. Yeah. And he is not hers. Right. Yeah. So, but so. it's still very sweet. We recommend it. Yes. But would we recommend what we're going to see next week? Because well, what well, is that? Well, before we do that, we should get to a little business. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Like, no, yeah no, no. We, we switched business because of a comment from one of our listeners. That's right. Thank you, Cheese Boy. Business. Yeah, Cheese Boy. So yep. uh, we'll do business now because it was suggested it made more sense at the end of the show. So, Max, if you would take care of that, please. I will indeed. You can, of course, find an entire catalog of our back episodes at our website, maxmikemovies.com. You can find us on the podcast app of your choice, your Max Mike Movies, Apple, Google, uh, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, probably others that we're not going to tell you about because it's a secret. You just well, don't know. <laughs> we're also on the medias of social on fa- on the Fache book and uh, Twitter under Max Mike Movies. And uh, if you have any suggestions, ideas, questions, comments, you would like us to uh, take possession of and uh, use as our own, uh, <laughs> Trademark. giving you no credit ever. Uh, or a cut of e- the profits. Yep, profits. <laughs> you can email us at us us at maxmikemovies.com but uh, next week we're going uh, a bit more contemporary mm. with uh, a movie that uh, caused a bit of a stir when it came out I guess just uh, in terms of uh, the casting the, the writing, the director and who was in it uh, we're going to be checking out Crazy Rich Asians oh cool, and, yeah. yeah a friend of mine's cousin actually directed that uh, really? yes, oh, okay, and cool. I've been meaning to watch it now I have an excuse yeah. <laughs> Crazy yeah. Rich Asians. Rich Asians, yes. Which, 
Uh, one of the stars in it is, of course, everyone's favorite, Fiji Water. She's terrific. And uh, that, no. Wait, no. Poland right, Springs? I think you're thinking of Aquanetta and you're still uh, wrong. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, oh, yes. Aquafina. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> it is. I mean, Aquafina, a hairspray, sure, name. but a star? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do many, many more such jokes next time. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.